Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by the one and only Julie Crefield. Julie, welcome. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. Well, I'm just glad that you are here and that you're not sort of trapped in some European destination still. (laughs) Yeah, the last time we spoke, I was on the Greek island of Rhodes having the time of my life. Um, So it feels very different to be in a cold and dark East London right now. Yeah. So let's just explain to the audience, what were you doing on the island of Rhodes? Well, after a very challenging few months of lockdown and homeschooling and running two businesses, I knew I needed a bit of a break. So uh, me being me, I never take a proper break. So instead, I went off to Greece to write a book. Um, And it was supposed to be three weeks and it turned into eight weeks. (laughs) And I just had a glorious time of, of writing my book and swimming in the ocean and even though we went into lockdown in Greece, their lockdown was very different, particularly on the islands. So I could still go to the beach, I could still go hiking, and I could still swim. So um, it was exactly what I needed, actually, to um, recharge my batteries and make sense of what had gone on during the first lockdown. Um, So yeah, uh, I have very fond memories of my time there. And what do you think you were chasing there? Well, you know, I love to travel and um, I had two retreats booked for October, one in Valencia and one in Ibiza, and both of those got cancelled. So the moment there was this corridor of being able to escape, I was like, right, I'm gone. So it definitely was this idea of freedom, which is interesting because at the start of every year, I choose a word for the year. and At the start of the year, my word was lead. And by about February... I chickened out of that word and was like, oh, I think it's a bit too big. I don't, it felt like, I don't know, just I didn't feel that comfortable with it. So instead I chose the word freedom. And then the irony of that was just a few weeks later, we all got locked down. Um, and so <laughs> my word for the year was freedom. And here I was, you know, trapped in a two bed apartment with an eight year old who needed homeschooling, you know, and no one could go anywhere. So um, that concept of freedom really challenged me um and looking back on last year freedom absolutely describes my year not only my trip to Greece but the you know the barriers and the the blocks the mindset shifts that I had even if I was in my two-bed flat in East London I was able to um do things that I'd never been able to do before because I didn't care what anyone thought anymore, you know, lockdown for me or COVID and, you know, I had my best year in business and and it's difficult saying that because I know not everybody did and it's been a challenging year for a lot of people, but it gave me the push that I needed to once and for all realise that I have a huge amount of expertise to share in this world and that my fear of being judged was holding me back. 
which is ironic because I did a TEDx talk about the fear of judgment. So it's, you know, sometimes the stuff that we're interested in as coaches is the stuff that we, that we continue to need. Um, so, yeah, 2020 will always be the year where I stepped up as a leader. And, and that's what my book is about. Um, and it's interesting because I had this idea for a book um, that was about my plus size fitness business. So I have a, a plus size fitness business called Two Fat to Run. And my book, Leading from the Back, was supposed to be about that. It was supposed to be about being a plus size runner that always comes last. And so I had the title for the book. Um, but during lockdown, that business, I, I gave a lot of my uh, programs away for free during lockdown because the women were struggling. So I run a program called Thrive Inside that was completely free for them to access that was like mindset and goal setting and fitness and nutrition because it felt like the right thing to do and what I was able to do during that first lockdown was really explore what it meant to be a leader online because the whole world went online and there was a lot of panic in the first few weeks a lot of repositioning a lot of pivoting and a lot of noise and so what I was observing was what does it take to lead people somewhere? And we're obsessed with followers. You know, oh, how many followers have I got? You know, of my social media, of my podcast, and, and all of this kind of stuff. And yet, if people are following you, you've got to take them somewhere, which by default means you're a leader. And so many of us are like, oh, I'm not a leader, you know, and, and, and we leave it to the bigger players or we leave it to the gurus or the politicians or whatever. So I'm really interested in this idea of self-leadership and how we can lead small but mighty tribes. And so when by the time I went off to Greece, I knew the book was not going to be about plus size running. It was going to be a book about business and about how to, to grow a profitable online business without selling out, without burning out and without behaving badly. Because there was a lot of people behave, behaving a little bit poorly. And and you know, I try not to be judgmental about that because we just do the best that we can. Um, and you never know what people's circumstances are and why they use the tactics that they do. But, it, it, you know, it comes down to values and how you want to show up. So it's it's never about comparing yourself to how other people run their businesses, but it's about staying true to how you want to run your business and what do you want people to say about you behind your back. And a couple of observations from just what you've been sharing there is you said you chickened out from using the word lead. And yet, ironically, you write a book about leadership in that year. So you still <laughs> fulfilled your word. I know. And it was only when I found my vision board, because I'm about to do one for this year. It was only when I found it that I started laughing to myself because I'd forgotten that I chose that word. Um, and, you know, that that idea, that concept of leadership, you know, is it's really unlocked so much of my expertise. So I developed for the book, I developed this system for working out how you want to shine online. So I, I believe that there's not just one way to grow a tribe. And a lot of people have resistance to growing an online tribe because they think it means, oh, I have to have a Facebook community. And Facebook is just a tactic. And so if you don't want to look after people, if you're like, oh my God, I couldn't think of anything worse than having to respond to people all day, then you don't have to. I mean, it's a great way of growing a tribe if you want to, but it's not the only way. So I developed these 12 archetypes. And once you understand 
your archetype, your predominant one, and you understand the ones that you're most adverse to, you can build your business around that. Now, I know archetypes can sound a bit woo, a bit spiritual, but actually they can be really practical. And so I have this system called the Shine Bright Method, which says, just like a diamond, you have the light and the dark. You know, a diamond won't shine bright unless it captures the dark um, bits of the diamond. And when you understand your shadow, and for me, the shadow side of my tribe building is probably the mother, which is which is the nurturer. And I burnt myself out nurturing people in one of my first tribes. So now I don't want to do it. I, you know, I want to work with big groups, be inspirational, tell stories and teach them what they need to, to know. I'm not going to hold their hand through every step of that process. I do it for some people, but on the whole, you know, I couldn't do the work I did if everybody was DMing me every second. And so now that I know I'm not willing to, to lean into that nurturing um, archetype, I can build my business in a way that means that I either don't need it or I outsource that part because a lot of people do need nurturing through online programs. And so it's about mastery. Um, some people are not born storytellers. And I know you had Rachel Maunder on here and she was talking about the power of storytelling. We can all tell stories. We might not be um, good at them or um, confident with, with doing them, but it's a skill that we can all use. And so this method helps you to identify the things that come easy to you, the things that you're really adverse to, and the things that if you paid a little bit more attention to, it would really help you to grow your tribe. So whether that's being the storyteller, whether it's teaching what you know, so many people are experts, but they don't teach. Um, and, and they assume people know what their expertise is. But unless you illustrate your ability to teach, then it's really difficult. And one of my favorite archetypes is the crusader. And I think the crusader is what has got me to where I am because me as a little girl was so angry with the world and there was so much injustice. So I was always crusading for one thing or another. And, and my plus size fitness business definitely came out of me crusading for change. And I think if we all have just a little bit of that in us, it helps us to drive. It's, it is our purpose. And going back to where you said you had the best year yet last year, I think what people have to remember is that it took you years to get to that point. It was just going to happen regardless of what was going to happen last year anyway. But you were in an online space. You were thriving in a position that we were all thrown in. But you had spent years getting to that point. Yeah. And, and this is something that I've really been exploring in the last month or so. Like, did I have the success because of COVID? Did I have it despite COVID? Was COVID an activator? And I actually think that's what it was. I think COVID was an activator for me. And what I mean by that is I've been doing community engagement for 20 odd years. And the type of community engagement I did was big scale on the ground. So I would go in with a budget and I'd work with hundreds of thousands of people, you know, via different kind of agencies, the Royal Opera House and the Arts Council, Sport England. I worked on the London 2012 Games where I helped to write policy to get 70,000 games makers. But I would also do stuff on a really small basis. So I'd go in and work with five young people. Um, and so that is where I honed my craft around how you engage, how you influence, how you bring people along, even if they're resistant. Like my expertise back in the day was hard to reach groups. So people that didn't want to engage, didn't want to take part. But I had this bit in the middle where I run a plus size fitness business. And that's 
for, for the longest time, it felt like that's all that anybody wanted to speak about. It was very newsworthy. It was very niche and it was fun and disruptive. And so I became known as Julie Crefield, founder of Two Factor Run. And it was really hard to shake that. And, you, you know, I still run that business. But for, for the longest time, I felt like I'd been put in this box because it was easy for people to put me there. And it didn't allow me to get the impact that I wanted in terms of helping other people to create movements that matter and helping other people to get traction online. And so at the start of last year, I already had the intention to double my income. That was my intention that I set. I didn't know how I would do it. And when COVID happened, I had about 24 hours of a wobble where I literally was like, it's not fair, you know, all this work that I've put in and I'm going to go back to square one. And, you know, I was like, poor me, poor me. And then I snapped myself out of it. And the way I did that was I developed this thing called the triangle of need. And it was about like, you know, what are my needs? What are my needs financially, emotionally, from an ego perspective? Like, what do I need not just to survive, but to thrive? And then I was like, right, what do my clients need? What do they need to survive and to thrive? And then that didn't feel like enough. If I'd come up with a project just about that, it would have still felt a bit icky. There needed to be something else, another kind of energy that made both parties want to get involved. And I was like, what does the world need right now? Um, what does the world need? And is there another group that I could help? And one of the things that I saw in the first lockdown was lots of fitness professionals going, oh my God, all my classes have been canceled. I don't know how I'm gonna how I'm gonna survive. And so I came up with this program called Thrive Inside and I managed to employ the fitness professionals to support my plus size women who are all over the world. And what that made me realize was there is opportunity everywhere, particularly when things go wrong, when when we are faced with real adversity, the creative side of us comes out and we create something that wasn't even an idea before it comes out of nowhere and so I didn't have a strategy at all this year and I managed to increase my turnover by about 160 percent which for me has been life-changing that amount of money but also that amount of growth into my business which has given me momentum to have a great year this year um, but I think more than that it has sounds weird and this is a bit of a vulnerable share, but I think it validates me, you know, in a weird way, I can say, I'm really good at this stuff. You know, I'm really good at this stuff. It feels really good to have supported probably about 2000 business owners this year to not go under, you know, to, to not lose their minds, to not give up. That feels really good to have done that during a, a really challenging time for business. When you talk about validation and you also talked about the fear of being judged. You said you even did a TED, TEDx talk around it. What is the, that sort of need that people have for validation and what is the deep concern that they have for being feared or fit for being judged? Yeah. So I did a TEDx about three years ago on the fear of judgment, particularly for women. So there was some statistics a good few years ago that said um, 2 million fewer women play sport than men because of the fear of judgment. So in the context of my running business, I was like, if women are not playing sport because of the fear of judgment, what else are they not doing? 
are they not setting up businesses? Are they not going dating? Are they not, you know, going off on adventures? And so my TEDx was about like, if we started to care less about how we look and instead, instead worried more about how we feel and what our purpose was um, and how we can support other people, how we can model fearlessness. Um, and actually it's not even about fearlessness because I am afraid a lot of the time. It's not like I'm devoid of, of fear. You know, when I headed off to Greece for two months, you know, that was a scary proposition with what was going on in the world. And I, I did worry about being fit, uh, being judged because I'm a single mum and, and everyone was like, where's Rose? Where's Rose? Um, and, you know, Rose was with her dad. I didn't leave her at home watching Disney Plus. Um, you know, but there was still this fear that people would judge me. So I don't know. I think for me personally, there are lots of things from my childhood or from my upbringing or from my experiences but it's just that little seed of you're not good enough and I think this is what stems for a lot of people but it's you know I'm very working class I come from a very working class background I didn't feel heard or listened to as a child there I was one of six children my mum brought us up by herself there wasn't a lot of time or space or money so there was a lot of lack that went on um and I was told at school that I wouldn't do very well and that I should do practical su subjects, which I did. I did drama. Um, but actually, I went on to get a first class degree and a master's. So that was absolute rubbish. I am very smart. Um, but I had for many years, probably about seven years, was told that I should limit my expectations. And I think that was done based on my family circumstances, because I was a child of a single parent mum who had lots of kids. I was told don't bother applying for university because it's expensive and you're better off just going and getting a job. And when I look back at all of that, I'm like, no wonder I have grown up with this sense of not being good enough. And when I went to university, most people sounded very different to what I sounded like. The things that I was interested in exploring at university blew their minds because, you know, my dissertation was on cultural diversity and and tribes and, and culture, you know, I was, I was talking about tribes before Seth Godin was talking about tribes, you know, and it's just having the confidence to pursue what interests you and to, to be yourself, even if that means you're different from everybody else. Um, and what I've realized now, that's my superpower. I didn't know it a couple of years ago, like, so maybe two or three years ago, when I was emerging into the business coaching world, I, I felt like I had to speak better, look better, be better, when actually I just needed to be more of me. And actually, the more I show up as me, the more I say I can't be bothered to do my hair today, the more I use my swear words and make up, make up, made up words, you know, that's what my clients love. You know, people hear me on podcasts or they see me speaking and something resonates with them. Something says, you know, I've been looking at lots of business coaches, but you're the one for me. And that is about just showing up unapologetically as you and trusting that the right people will find you. And it's interesting that you said you only found your superpower a couple of years ago because and also that you you sort of had this sort of difficult start in life. And what I found from interviewing so many people now is that often the void that we have as a childhood, you know, obviously is something that we continuously try to fill. I am not good enough is probably the most common phrase that people use, not just on this podcast, and I talked about it in my last Reflections episode, 
but also just in life. I mean, it's just so prominent that sort of four words, I, I'm not good enough. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and yet it, it can be so limiting. However, it also can be extremely liberating because as you've shown, you've just pushed through that now and look where you are. Yeah, I think it's about, I think we all want to feel significant in some way. And that I think is the human condition. And I think it's very connected to purpose. And you're right, that void is very much the fuel. Um, and what's been interesting for me, you know, I um, went to university, I, you know, I've been a real grafter. I've worked in lots of different industries, got really good jobs. And then when I had my daughter, I was out of work for the first time ever. Um, I actually got made redundant four times in 10 years. Um, and that was a real shock to not have an identity, to not have an identity and to not have any money. That was a real shocker because I can remember as a kid thinking, you know, I don't care what I am when I'm older. I just don't want to be poor. And so to find myself in my 30s with no money, I was poor. It took a while for me to find my feet again. I lost my confidence. And because I didn't have a job, I felt like I wasn't significant anymore. Like being a mum wasn't enough. And that did drive me when I, that was, you know, I launched my plus size fitness business around that time. And when I look back, I can't believe how brave I was, how willing I was to be judged. I mean, I had, you know, a full page spread in the Daily Mail talking about fat and fit. You know, and the day we know, we know what the Daily Mail is like, you know what the comments are going to be like. You know, I did six weeks on ITVs this morning and, you know, Twitter would go mad with, you know, who does this woman think she is, you know, go on a diet. And when I look at that, how willing I was to put myself in the public eye because I was so um, completely behind my mission, my mission to change the way that plus size women were seen in the sport of running. And I know the running world has shifted because of the early work I did in my blog. And that is the power of, of building movements that matter. Um, but I, I, I do look back and I go, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. And it's that when you are connected to your mission, you can almost do anything. And did you, I mean, it's, it's difficult to know, but at the time, did you know that that was your mission or, or did you just believe in it so much? You didn't, was it sort of an outward decision to say, this is, this is my future? Or did you just want to make things change? I think I had a lot to push back from. So every time I went for a loan or a grant or business advice, I was being told no. I went to see a business advisor and he said, what, you, what you've got here, love, is, is a hobby. It's, it's all about your ego. It's a gimmick. You'll never make any money from it. And that was the best thing he could have said because I went away and I thought, right, I'll show you. Um, you know, and I think that pushback, that pushback from the running industry, there were lots of people that expressed their, dis, you know, their, their distaste at what I was doing. Um, quite public figures were pretty much telling me to go away and, and hide in a hole. And I can remember doing um, a qualification, a running qualification, because I felt, oh, I'd better get a, a, a qualification because otherwise, I, you know, I can't do the work that I'm doing. And it was all very thin, very white, very, I don't know, just traditional runners were on this qualification. And then there was me. And I had a great time. It was a great course. And I remember at the end, the instructor said, um, you know, what are you going to use this qualification for? What's your goals for the future? And I said, 
you know, I want to be seen as the world's uh, leading expert for plus size running. And the whole room laughed. They thought I was telling, take, you know, they thought I was telling a joke. And I was deadly serious. And in that moment, again, it was that fuel of this is what is so wrong about this industry. And a couple of years ago, I got featured in Running World magazine as one of the top 40 uh, influences in the running world, alongside people like Usain Bolt, Paula Radcliffe, Catherine Schweizer, the person that run the first woman to run the Boston Marathon. Like that to me was like a fingers up to everybody that ever kind of doubted what was possible. But it, was, but it wasn't just about me. Like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I want to be the figurehead of this brand. Initially, my blog was completely anonymous. You know, I didn't show any photos. I didn't share my name. And for the longest time, for about four years, my blog did, you know, I didn't want to be in the public eye. But I realized to get my mission out there to grow the business, I had to front it out. And that was the best personal growth tool for me to stop hiding, you know, and to be fearlessly visible. And you talk about the importance of building your tribe in whichever way that is. And obviously that you've got your different archetypes of, of the way that you can lead. And it's not just leading from the back. It's just stepping up to lead full stop. Yeah. 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 It's, it's acknowledging that it comes in various ways. You know, there's not just one way to lead. And actually, audiences need to be led in different ways. Right. And so when we're in the online world, we can get comparisonitis and we can we can be like, you know, what's the point in me talking about vulnerability when Brene Brown does it so well? Yes, I love Brene Brown. She's awesome. But she doesn't speak like me. She hasn't had the experiences that I have. She's not as accessible in terms of the programs that I run. We need multiple voices saying similar things to grow the consciousness and move people forward. It's very difficult for one single person to make huge amounts of shift. You need a ripple of people that are inspired by those people to turn what they're talking about into their own ways of, of speaking. Um, and it was really funny. I um, The last marathon I run was a couple of years ago. And the night before I watched the Brené Brown Netflix documentary. And on a whim, I tweeted her. I'd never tweeted her before in my life. But just the night before the marathon, I just tweeted and said, you know, the perfect documentary to watch the night before running the London Marathon. And I got up in the morning and my Twitter had gone mad because Brené had said, good luck, Julie, you're going to smash it. And so now I always refer to Brené as, oh, what, my friend, Brené Brown. <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's a, a real indication of how when you are willing to show up, amazing things happen and the power of the internet to bring people into your life of all different levels. You know, this idea that we pop people up as gurus, don't we? They're just human beings and there'll be people that pop me up as a guru, you know, and it's just, you know, it's fine to, to seek that validation. It's fine to want to be significant, but you also have to remember you're just a human being. And you raise a really good point talking about Brené Brown, because I remember thinking about launching this podcast. Well, who wants to listen to little old me talking about why when there's Simon Sinek who talks about why and he is the one that everyone goes to. So I had exactly that same sort of yeah, yeah. limiting belief of, well, you know, everything's been said. What, what have I got to add to this? 
well yeah. how wrong can I be and, and I'm so glad that I just ignored that and just stepped up because yes you know Brené Brown is known for courage she's known for daring she's known for that vulnerability but as she will say she's not the only person and she just she wants to create this ripple effect where other people get up and talk about it you know it would be a very lonely place if it was just her up there on the stage so yeah. actually you've got to step for a step up yeah, and I know when I started to rebrand my business and talk about tribe building, I felt the same because obviously Seth Godin had written his book about tribes. And it was only really when I was really exploring everything I've done in my career and I brought out my dissertation from uh, year or 2000, I think it was, you know, but it would have been about 1999 that I started writing that. And, you know, Seth Godin didn't start his blog until 2003 or something like that, 2004. And he didn't write his book until much later. So actually, that gave me a real, you know, um, boost to my confidence. Like, I was interested in this stuff a long, long time ago. Um, and I have practical application of, you know, all of the things that I've done in my life. Um, and that is how I've really honed my niche and I think it's only in the last 18 months, really, that I've got super clear on this is what I do and this is why I do it. So why are you doing it? Because business is lonely. Business is so lonely as an entrepreneur, not just in terms of the way we work. So many of us just work in an office by ourselves with a computer screen. But it's lonely in the decision-making process. It's lonely in the way we are called to step up and to do things we've never done before. And sales is lonely. It's, it's excruciating to put a brilliant offer out and get nothing back. And you start to question your validity. Oh, is it something about me? Do people hate me? Is it the program? Have I got that wrong? Like, is it my sales technique? What is it? And so by building a community around you who love what you do, you are increasing the likelihood of them buying from you. And that's not a bad thing because when, you know, I have in my plus size fitness business, my blog has been read by more than 10 million people. I haven't had 10 million people buy something from me, but that, that audience has been the platform that has been able to, you know, allowed me to leverage my expertise for the people that do want to work with me. Um, and I put out content and support people all the time that have never bought a single thing from me. And that's absolutely fine because those people become my best cheerleaders and they become my marketing assets. And so what I do know to be true is that people don't really buy information. They kind of do. But what they really buy is accountability and activation. And so when somebody buys something from you, it's an exchange of value. And what they're, what they're doing is committing. It's a commitment from them to say, firstly, I desire this. And secondly, I trust in you to help me get there. And so I see sales as one of the most amazing things we can do for each other because it's that exchange. It's that I believe in you, you know, and I'm going to support you. And it's a transaction of trust. Um, and so, you know, I've spoke a lot last year about making money and, and doing sales because the end result is never about the money it's about the freedom that you can unlock from those sales and the transformation that you make so if you're sitting there thinking oh god I really don't want to send that email out or I really don't want to launch that thing it's not about you it's about that end user um, and when they have the transformation what transformation do they then enable in other people so I think about all of the women that have done one of my running programs 
they will now have a different approach to fitness and well-being and they will particularly if they have daughters the language they use around their daughters and exercise and well-being will be very very different so it doesn't just stop at the woman that signed up to one of my programs and we go right back to that 24-hour wobble that you had where you asked yourself the question what does the world need so do you now thrive inside yourself I just think it's a practice. I think it's a practice. It's not something you go, right, I'm sorted. (laughs) You know, it's like new level, new devil, you know. Um, And I now have to explore what does it mean once you get to where you wanted to get to? So often we set income targets and sometimes we never really believe we'll get there. Like there's this kind of, that's what I'd really like in an ideal world, you know. And I have more than um, achieved my income target and so now I'm asking myself the question now what what is the goal beyond the goal if money wasn't an object if I wasn't chasing money if I wasn't building my business to create wealth what would I be create uh, building that business to create and so for me I think back to there was a there was a time in between uh, growing my finance uh, my plus size fitness business and becoming a business coach where I was really struggling. I I was making money, but I wasn't growing and I was starting to burn out. And I can remember feeling so hopeless. I felt like things would never, ever change. And I don't want that for other people. I don't want that for other really brilliant people. I meet so many awesome people that have just lost their mojo. They've lost their confidence in themselves. And that is my mission now. I really want to help people to reach their potential, which sounds trite, um, but I know what it means. It's never about the money, never about the money. It's about changing the trajectory of your uh, kind of family and your um, heritage. You know, I think back, my mum had six kids, you know, my nan had eight, my great grand, she had 18 children. She, you know, grew up in the, in the East End of London. They never owned anything, 18 children. My nan never went to school, you know. And so I want my daughter to go on to do even better things than me, you know, and for those stories to ripple out across my family and my community. I still live in the area that I grew up in and I love that at the moment um, to be able to say you don't need to be defined by where you live even in business we think like you've got to have a great backdrop and a beautiful house and you know all of the mod cons and it's just not true you know the the resource that is going to give you the success is the stuff that's inside of you it's not the stuff that's outside of you um, so I'm still defining that mission the, the new mission because for the last three years I would say my mission has been about me because for so long, my mission was about other people. And then I was like, hang on, Julie, you can't help other people if you burn out. Um, And so for me, it was like creating some amount of financial stability, so that I could then build solid grounds for my business moving forward. And something that I know that you are really passionate about is understanding your strengths and understanding what they mean to you and you mention it in your book and it was something that I then explored afterwards because you think you know yourself but actually quite often you dismiss things you take them for granted and they they are your superpowers they are your core strengths yeah 
it's a prime example of this is that I always used to say, oh, I'm good at ideas, really good at ideas. And then people, then I go, but everyone's good at ideas. Like no one in business is short of ideas. But actually when I did kind of a, a strengths analysis, ideation came up in my top five. I am wonderful at ideas, you know, both for my, for my own business and for other people's businesses. And one of my problems has been, I have too many really good quality ideas, you know, for one person's lifetime. And so to be a business coach is perfect because I gift them. I gift them, you know, I, I have brilliant ideas and I gift them to the right person. And then they go off and build brilliant movements around that idea. And often it's not, I don't give them expertise, but I give them a way of doing the thing they've always done that takes it out to a wider market. Um, and the other thing that came up high for me was um, futurist. And I would never have thought that about myself but it's so true. So we've seen the rise of Clubhouse over the last few months. My first membership was called Clubhouse, the Clubhouse, you know, and there are so many things that I've brought to market a little bit too soon. You know, the whole plus size fitness thing boomed about four years after I'd started it, you know, and people superseded me, you know. Um, so I am great at predicting tribes, but I, uh, or predicting um, trends, you know, and building tribes around them. And one of the things that I've learned to do a little bit more is to to hold back a bit and not launch the minute I get the idea and it's to develop the ideas a little bit more so yeah I think understanding yourself and your strengths and your weaknesses and like I used to feel like oh if I'm not good at this let me do a course on it or let me read a book on it now I just don't bother you know I'm not great at finances or organization or that kind of stuff you know, and so I outsource that because I'm not good at it and I don't enjoy it, you know. So it's about just accepting, as I said, like the stuff that you're good at, the stuff that you're not, the shadow stuff, and saying that's what makes me a whole person. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to your journey and hearing about how you've built your tribe over the years and, and what it is, what it means to be leading from the back and chasing that freedom. My goodness, what a great goal that was. What is it this year? What have you chosen? What's your word? I haven't chosen one yet. I haven't chosen one. So I'm doing a program at the moment called Dare to Dream and it culminates on Sunday with a vision boarding day. So I'm just at the moment exploring different things and then on Sunday I will pick my word. Oh, well, I look forward to hearing what that word is. I'm sure I'll find it when you post it all over your social media. You'll be like, this is my word, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Julie. How would people get in contact with you? I love sending people to my Instagram. So people can find me at, you know, at Julie underscore Crefield. Um, but also Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the new exciting thing for me in terms of building tribes, huge potential. So on Clubhouse, I'm Julie Crefield. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure that they go into the show notes. In fact, you will be my first person that I put a clubhouse to handle into their show notes. So yeah, well done. I need to put mine in actually as well. It just <laughs> reminded me. So great point. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Have you got some final words for the audience, please, Julie? Well, I thought I would read a poem from my book. And so here's the interesting thing. I have a business book. It's a really good business book that helps you to build a business, but it also has poems in it because that's just how I roll. Um, so the poem is called Chasing Freedom. Um, so what is it to truly be free, free from the idea that I can't really be me? The me that's an idiot, flawed and rubbish at times, 
but equally an absolute genius that writes poetry that rhymes. It's been quite an adventure getting this far, clearing away the bullshit about needing a posh house and a big car. What I was really chasing was the space to explore what else was out there and was I worthy of more? More choice, more freedom, more abundance, more love, away from the drive for more money and more stuff. I want the wind in, the in my hair and the sun on my back. I want great conversations with good food and good wine on the rack. I want to make a difference and have that not sound trite. I want to do things that are fun and also kind and just right. I want to use the talents I have and be recompensed fairly. And I want to make this world better for those coming up behind me. It takes a while to find what you want in this life, but then you have to allow yourself to receive it and feel truly alive. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrollinson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.